Welcome to this episode of Becoming a Fulfillionaire. Today's guest is the absolutely incredible, awe-inspiring Tara Renzi. She just wrote the book, Be Who You Came to Be, and she's actually in the process of writing her second book, Perfectly Imperfect, and she sent me this wonderful package of all these amazing things she's created. We get into so many incredible conversations that are truly life-changing for you if you get through this episode where we talk about family, we talk about her 12 and 14-year-old sons and all the beautiful things that she's learned having them with her husband for 20 years. They've had a, a beautiful marriage and have so many wonderful tactics and tools that she shares throughout the beginning of the interview. And then we dig more into the book's message itself of Be Who You Came To Be and why this slogan is so important to her. Um, wonderful, beautiful stories about the unfortunate and sudden passing of her father and how that really rattled her life, but brought her from a place of wanting to make everybody happy, including herself, to really figuring out what fulfillment meant to her and how she could do more fulfilling things and really change her mindset so that she wasn't doing anything for her family out of obligation, but she was really doing it out of a long-term view of what would make her truly fulfilled and happy after the fact of doing everything. And then we dig into uh, actually the last chapter of her book. So if you wanna see that, skip to the very end of the interview and she reads it out loud and it's just absolutely incredible and so touching. So without any further ado, here's Tara Renzi. I suppose this is as good a point as any to, to drop into the ocean of this idea of, of fulfillment in life, which is, I always say fulfillment has like two sides. I shouldn't even say I always say, this is actually a very new delineation of what fulfillment is for me. And on one half, I see it as the muscle and the ability to master your perspective and saying, you know, Viktor Frankl, man's search for meaning, no matter what happens, there's like silver lining, there's beauty, there's potential, there's hope in every situation and everything, right? And there's always good that comes out of things. That's one half of it. And that's a very powerful skill to master. So we could talk about that. And then the other half I'm really talking about more now is objective reality and trying to figure out like what your objective reality goals and dreams are, what your, as Lisa Nichols says, non-negotiables are within that objective reality, seeing, you know, what you can make a perspective shift and what cannot make a perspective shift and just has to be there. So I'm sure just as I say that, lots of things come up for you and lots of teachings and lessons, but what stories pop up for you or wisdoms and lessons within those, that harmony between those two ideas? Mm -hmm. Well, first off, Fulfillionaire, I love that from the minute I heard you say it because I don't think that it is actually the mindset and reality that so many people live in today. I mean, if you talk to anyone, and I actually, I, I love asking this question when I'm keynoting and workshopping and I'm having, you know, an opportunity to really engage with women and I'll say, what do you want in your life? And 95% of the time they say, I just want to be happy. And the thing is, is we can't manufacture happiness and we can't create happiness. And I know this because I lived through my thirties trying to manufacture happiness. I had a, a mentor say, Hey, if you want to be, if you want success in life, you just have to be happy because successful people are happy people. 
And so off I went on my unicorn to create happiness for everyone. And, you know, it was exhausting. And honestly, at the end of the day, I, I wasn't always truly happy. And then I went through this major life event of um, unexpectedly losing my father. And so at that point in time, all of my happiness drained the, the happiness that I had and the happiness didn't stand a chance to compete against the grief. And it was during this time that I thought, oh my God, I am never going to be quote unquote happy again. And it was kind of a, just a daunting thought to think this, how long will this grief last? How long will I be in this, this, you know, pool of, of just unhappiness? And it was during that time that I had my fulfillment epiphany and we were all together for Christmas. I had, you know, my dad's brother and my mom and uh, my brothers and my nieces and nephews and my, and my family, obviously. And we were telling stories about dad and we were together and it was like this light bulb went off and it was this massive epiphany. And I thought to myself, I'm not. I haven't had the happiest year, obviously, with, you know, the, the losing my father, but I don't know if I've ever been more fulfilled in my life. And that's when I realized, like, if we focus on living fulfilled, we actually create those epic moments of happiness, those epic moments of success. And it's fulfillment that creates epic moments of happiness and success and, and genuine moments of happiness and success. And so it was at that point in time, I really just abandoned my happiness quest. I, I knew if I do things that fulfill me, I will be successful and I will have some incredible happy moments and I will live in the state of fulfillment and knowing that like, we all have bad days, stuff's going to happen. Things are going to go our way, you know, but fulfillment is um, unshakable and it's really never ending because once we earn fulfilling things, we still feel really fulfilled. I mean, think about one of the most fulfilling things you've ever done in your life. You probably still feel really fulfilled about it. So that was my kind of fulfillment epiphany and it's changed everything in my life. So what do you, what does that look like on a practical scale? Like, what do you do now when you reoriented that for that year? What do you do now to, what's a fulfilling thing or how do you orient your life to do more fulfilling things? Mm -hmm. Well, for me, you know, it was realizing that fulfilling things aren't easy and we work for fulfilling things. And we also don't walk away from fulfilling things. So the most fulfilling things in my life are uh, my family, first and foremost, um, you know, my faith, my relationship with my children, my relationship with my husband, my work. Um, my health and wellness, all of these things, none of that comes easy. I mean, I've been married 20 years and I'm going to tell you right now that we haven't always been happy. We've always been very fulfilled, but we stuck with it and we worked through those hard times. Um, and then even a simple thing, you know, here it is January 12th and all these people are trying to, to st stick with their goals and their, the things that they said they're going to do. And right now it's really hard. Because no changes occurred, most likely, yet. Um, they are, you know, if, it, if it's a fitness goal, they're probably sore. They're, they probably want to have their wine. <laughs> they want to eat those fries and all, this, all these things. Because that, that creates quick happiness, right? 
And instead, when we focus on, hey, I'm going to stay the course on this because it's fulfilling, it's not going to be easy, but it's going to be worth it. And so everything that I do now is kind of just my filter. Is this fulfilling? If so, I'm going to keep doing it. If it's not fulfilling, I'm going to put my time into something that is fulfilling. So when you were off on your unicorn riding in to try to make everybody happy and yourself happy between like, let's say, cause I'm, I'm assuming you were also trying to make your kids happy. You were trying to make your husband happy. You're trying to make yourself happy. What, what would be an example of how you would do something when you were on your unicorn and what's an example of how you would do those things now? So like practical, like taking your kids to school, what was like happy Tara versus fulfillment oriented? What's the, the two sides there? You know, what's curious. It didn't, it didn't really change me and, and the way it didn't change my relationship with my children. I've always loved them and I've loved doing things for them, but it, it was a mindset shift that actually changed how I showed up in those spaces and how instead of, you know, trying to be Miss Happy Pants and all these things, really focusing on like, hey, you know what? I'm tired today. I don't want to make lunches. I don't want to do any of this, but I'm going to do it because it's really deeply fulfilling. So it really just was this mind, this mindset shift that, that instead of being exhausting, it became energizing because I wasn't thinking, oh, I'm going to do this to make someone happy, or I'm going to do this to, because my kids love it. And, but instead it was like, I'm going to do this because I love them. It's fulfilling and yeah, it's going to make them happy, but the fulfillment of it is going to make me really happy in turn. So it didn't, it didn't really change me the way I was showing up in relationships, but really it, it was all about my own mindset and how I was feeling fulfilled and then in turn happy. So then let me run a scenario by you and see if I'm hearing what you're saying so I can apply this to my life. On one side, when you were riding on your unicorn, trying to just be happy, you would show up to that same kitchen to make the kids lunches and you'd be like, okay, I really don't feel like doing this, but I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna smile and I'm gonna dance and I'm gonna like do all the things and I'm gonna drive them to school. And as soon as they get out of the car, then I can cry. And, and then the difference might be you showed up to the same kitchen. You're like, wow, I'm really tired. I'm really sad. Like, I don't want to make these lunches, but I know how much I'm going to appreciate that I did this in four hours. And I'm going to know that I felt good about making their lunches and I felt good about driving them. I don't have to be like smiley and dancy and giggly but I want to be there for my children because I know I'll be happy that I was later, even though I don't feel like it right now. Absolutely. And, you know, it also really taught me to just be present in who I was and to let my kids know if I was tired or unhappy. And it wasn't yelling, I'm so tired and I don't want to do this. It was really just, hey, guys, I'm tired today. You know, I love you so much, but I am, I'm tired and I just want you to know that. And it, it created almost just like this vulnerable honesty where you, it, it didn't give us permission to act out or lash out or not to be kind, but to admit that sometimes we're tired. Sometimes we don't have good days. Sometimes we're, you know, irritable. And we have this rule in our family. This all came through this fulfillment journey of you have to announce your emotions. If it's not, if it's not happy or positive being like, I'm really irritable today. And what happens is you, you tell someone I'm really irritable right now. 
it actually helps kind of lift the irritability, right? Because you you put it out into the universe and the other person might giggle a little bit and then you're going to giggle versus bottling it up because we feel like we have to be these happy robotic people all the time versus just being real. And having, you know, irritability or anger or sadness or tiredness doesn't doesn't mean you have to be, you know, unkind. It just, you have to be human. And then we give people, you know, the leeway to do that as long as they're, you know, at one announcing their emotions to proceeding with kindness always. Hmm. Okay, so this opens up a whole nother can of worms I'm excited to get into, which is how old a uh, how many, well, how many years ago did this transition happen where you set the family rule, let's announce our emotions? So it had to be probably about five years ago. And how old are your children now? They're 12 and 14. Okay. And they're boys. So, they're boys. So, you know, announcing your emotion, it's a challenge for these kids. <laughs> do they do it now? They, you know, they do. They'll say that I'm, I'm tired. I'm just, I'm tired. You know, I'll say, what's wrong? I'm, I'm just tired. Or, you know, I'm frustrated. They, they, they do a really good job of just being honest, but being kind. You know, I went into my son, I always sing. I go to my kid's room in the morning. I was a theater and voice major in college. So it's like one of the few times I still get to sing is every morning I go into their room and I'm singing something. And, uh, I re but I usually sing like good morning songs or whatever. And then the other day I was like, I'm going to go in and sing the Applebee's song to my son. You know, the, the, the corny song that everybody loves, the Applebee's date night song. Do you know this song? I don't know. Could you, can you sing it for us? <laughs> We're bougie like Applebee's on a date night. Do you, have you heard this? Got the, never, never. Oh, have it. Oh, the Bourbon Street steak with the um, Oreo shake. Got the whipped cream on the top too. That's anyway, great. I go into his room and I'm singing this and he just smiles and he rolls over. And I said, oh my gosh, do I annoy you so much? And he goes, no, I'm used to it. <laughs> oh yeah but versus being like yeah you do annoy me or you know it was just because we have just given everyone in our house just the permission to, to be themselves and to not be overly critical and to know that you know we're all we're, we we're we have different moods and that's allowed as long as you're kind yeah okay so which brings me to my bigger question within this which is Tell me about the story of this, the initiation of all of these ideas with your husband. You know, he's a great dad. My husband's always been just a really hands-on great dad. And just, he's a, he's really a, an amazing human being. Um, but we were raised very differently. You know, I was raised in a very openly affectionate family. I mean, you know, I love you. I love you. My, I tell my, I remember one time I was like, okay, I love you. I can't wait to see you. And someone was like, was that your husband? I was like, oh, that was my brother, <laughs> you know, cause that's just who we were. And so for him, um, some of it was just, you know, of like, Hey, you know, don't be afraid to say, I love you. Like we don't say, I love you for like special moments. Like, why do we feel like we can't tell people we love them when we love them? Like, why would you save those three words to only use a few times in your life? 
and no one can ever be told their love too much. You know, no one's ever like, yeah, I'm tired of hearing that. Stop telling me you love me. Um, and so we've always just had this co-parenting strategy and, you know, he's, oh, here comes one of them right now. We, um, sorry, that, that alarmed me with him running in. So it was, it wasn't ever anything like we sat down and had a family meeting of like, hey, you have to announce your emotion. And it was just one of those things like, hey, I can tell that you aren't, you know, completely happy right now or you're irritable. <laughs> like, just say it. Don't make us guess and certainly don't make everyone walk around here on eggshells because you're not having a good day. Like, that's not fair to the the, the family culture. So it, it wasn't ever like we had to sit down, come to Jesus. It was just really like, you know, over time, we just developed this, this strategy that's really, really worked out incredibly well. Amazing. So then I've got one question and then a whole nother, a whole nother avenue to go down. So this question is in your book, um, be who you came to be, which is amazing, by the way, I Thank love you. it. It feels this book feels so nice. Like it's got a really nice texture and I love this little like gold lap ta tassel tassel. Yeah, right. But just the whole thing. I don't know how you chose like the pages, but just aesthetically, it's really pleasing. And not to mention this other one, the journal. Oh. I would even say this is more so like, this is something I would just touch just to touch. Oh, thank you. You know? you know, that was really important to me that the book would be something that people wanted to keep around and they wouldn't just shove it on a books, bookshelf, but they'd put it on a coffee table. I mean, I've joked, I'm like, if you hate the book, it's still a great coffee table piece. <laughs> and yeah. I, cause I, we need that reminder every day, be who you came to be. This isn't something that you read once and then you put away, like every day you have to show up, you have to keep chipping away at authentic you and, you know, working on those up levels in your life and you're never going to arrive. So Thank you. That means a lot. I will tell you, I poured my heart and soul into this book and really making it a true representation of me, my mission and how I want people to feel, which is seen and beautiful and, you know, gentle to be around and all of those things. So dude, that I really appreciate that. I, I really appreciate how beautiful this thing is. So <laughs> the, the thing that I read that came up that I wanted to hear you speak about is there's there's a part in one of the chapters where you say when you're about to become a mom and you're like okay i'm gonna have it all i'm gonna keep my career i'm gonna travel and do what i need to do for work i'm going to be the best mom ever and i'm, I'm gonna have it all right and then obviously you have your first boy um your second boy and you realize you can't it it can't all be what it was before because when you're at work then you're thinking about your boys and then when you're with your boys you're thinking about work and there there's give and take with these things what's been the resolution to that for you like what do you tell people now when they say you know they want to stack these things and have all of it with all of them what's your framework for that mm -hmm. I think most of the time we set unrealistic expectations because we don't know. Like I didn't know what it would be like to be a mom. I mean, even the entire time I was pregnant, I obviously I was pregnant and I was growing this baby and it was so magical, but 
I had no idea what it was going to feel like to hold this baby in my arms, to bring this baby home. And then, you know, it wasn't really until I had my second son that then I had two babies at home because they're, they were, you know, my oldest son wasn't even two when my second son was born. And I remember my husband coming home from work. I was still on maternity leave and I was laying in, I was sitting in the living room and I had the boys entertained and um, he walked in, I just started bawling. And I said, I don't, I, I don't think I can go back to work. Like, I don't know how I can do this. And I, I here all along, I thought I'm going to hire the nanny. I'm going to, you know, work. We can have our evenings and weekends and that's just what, what it's going to be. And I tried to write a story and then go live it. And that's just not how our lives work. We, we write our stories one day at a time. Most women feel out of balance. Most women feel, you know, pulls when they are setting unrealistic expectations for themselves or not creating hard boundaries, um, you know, not saying yes to fulfilling things. And I will tell you, I feel like I still, I still had it all because what I was doing was fulfilling. And what I realized, you know, I didn't have the, the be who you came to be mindset of, you know, how do you create it, own it, live it. And I hadn't had, I was in my, uh, you know, I was in my happiness quest then that, you know, no one ever told me, Hey, you can be a kick-ass mom and you can be kick-ass in your career. Like they're not in competition and fulfilling things don't compete. And it's really about, how are we being mindful and present where we're at? But certainly, you know, you you can't write your future and think that you're just going to go down that path and live it. And, you know, I would say, you don't know what you don't know. And I so I, I feel like I've always, I, I feel like I've had it all and I feel like I still have it all because it's how I'm vis- looking at it now versus saying, I want more of this or more of that. It's it just, it's, it's, it's like, again, that the fulfillment doesn't compete. Did you ever hire the nanny or how did you? Oh, oh Skip, I hired about six nannies. <laughs> it might not have been six with the summertime ones. It probably was around six, but I, yes, I hired multiple nannies. I mean, the first nanny that I hired, we went through a, um, like a nanny agency where we paid the, fee and the nanny was on salary and um you know I fired the nanny from a hotel room in Philadelphia (laughs) Philadelphia and it it was clear it wasn't working out and and what I realized was is yeah some of these nannies weren't they just weren't a right fit to begin with um but really it was because I wanted to be there I wanted to be present and you know, there was times I remember, and this is, I mean, this is kind of a, a humiliating, vulnerable thing to admit, but um, I would come home and the, my baby would smell like the nanny. And I remember telling my husband once, like, can I tell her not to wear that lotion? And he was like, you can't tell her not to wear that lotion. Like, have you lost your mind? <laughs> but I, you know, I, and it was just this reminder of like, oh, he was with someone else that day. And not that there was anything wrong with that. And again, I know a lot of working women who have continued to work and they have loved it. I'm not them and they're not me. And we don't, you know, I didn't come to be them and they didn't come to be me. So we have to make decisions that are right for us. And I think that that was one of those things I realized was like, 
gosh, maybe these nannies aren't working out because I need to be more present in the home. And even though I said I was going to do corporate all the way, continue with the 50 to 60 hour work week, I realized that's not who I am anymore. And the work that was really fulfilling suddenly wasn't really as fulfilling anymore. Mm. And it didn't make it wrong or bad. I changed. What's been the evolution of that process for you? So once you've kind of made that delineation or distinction for yourself that you wanted to be more present in the home, what did you change? And I, I've, I've, what did you change? And I kind of want to hear the evolution of that also up until now, like what is being present in the boys' lives look like now for you? And how do you harmonize that? Mm -hmm. You know, they're a lot older now. They're 12 and 14. So it's easier, you know, it's just there. It's easier. It, it, little kids are hard. I mean, no one, I, I don't know why we don't talk more about this. I don't know why. Moral people aren't saying little kids are really hard. They will test your marriage. They will test your career. They will test everything about you. Like, and everyone, you know, it's the highlight reels. Everybody sees, oh, all the great pictures and the family and all this and, and behind the scenes, women um, and, and marriages and husbands too are just, they're like, oh my gosh, is everybody else like this? Or is it just, is it just us? And here's the thing. Everybody's like that. Little kids are so, so hard on, um, you know, your marriage and on your career. And so I, after two years of, of staying in the corporate world, I made a huge shift and I actually left the corporate job and I went into social selling. So I started an at-home business selling jewelry out of all things. Well, I love jewelry, so it's not really surprising, but people really thought I had lost my damn mind. They were like, you're doing what? You are leaving your executive level position that you've worked so hard for to stay at home and sell jewelry. I was like, yes, I am. And, but here's the thing. I saw it as a great business opportunity. It was a young company out of San Francisco. They had just started. They were looking for new leaders. And I was like, hey, I could do this. I could love it. I can build a huge business. I can have flexible entrepreneurship. So I never just cold turkey quit working. I've always been a working mom, but it looked different because I had a lot of flexibility. And the, the, the flip side was, is I worked a couple nights a week. And so my husband, Scott would work, he would come home, I would leave. Um, and so that was the first evolution of just doing that, which gave us just, it just, it provided so much more, I hate to say balance, but really the balance was the fulfillment, right? That I didn't feel like I was missing out on home. I still felt like I had a, a career, but I had more flexibility. And, you know, it's a whole nother conversation about the workforce and what's happening right now. And that we have to start giving women more equitable solutions for work or women will continue to leave the workforce hmm. because they need the flexibility to, you know, pick up their kids at four and working women get stuff done. Like, you know, once a working woman, always working woman. I always say, you want something done, go ask a working mom. She, they, they make it happen. And um, so it just looked different. And so then I did that for eight years. And then I started feeling this strong pull to take my message of be who you came to be and really uh, share it with the world. And so I left that again and started on my next up level and my next journey of becoming a keynote speaker and an author and, and all those things. And I think that 
that's what's brilliant about the message be who you came to be is, you know, who you were is not who you are today. And it's not who you're going to be in, you know, five years, 10 years, 20 years, or, you know, the week before you, you, you pass. So, and what, what's fulfilling in your life can change. And it doesn't mean that, it, that it's not, I mean, you know, again, you think back to something that at one point in time was still fulfilling. You, you, you still feel really fulfilled. I look back on my corporate career and I still get like puffed up and bubbled up inside and thought, God, that was great. That was simply some of the best years of my life. I loved it. Um, so, you know, we, we change and we have to give ourselves the, those permission slips to, to, to reinvent ourselves. Okay. So I have <clears throat> a selfish question here that I'd really like to know the answer to, okay. which is, I've, I've I don't know if I several. have the answer, but I'll give you my insight. I think, I think you do. Um, from a, from a man's perspective, uh, you are a very intense, very passionate, extremely intelligent, uh, powerful mother and wife. What are the most significant, maybe two or three, what were the most significant things or memories of things that your husband did to, that you really deeply felt supported by him through this journey? What are the things that he did or still does that really, um, solidified the relationship that you have and, and you felt very supported by? Mm -hmm. He's always been my biggest fan. And, you know, just the other day he said, I, I did a, a training and he overheard it. And the next day he said, Hey, I meant to tell you last night, but you were fire on that training last night. Like I was listening and you did so good little just compliments, just supporting this, you know, being supportive. But I think the, the one thing that, that we figured out when our kids were really young, that has changed us and has changed my relationship with him and his relationship with me is we stopped keeping tabs on each other. So it was not like I got up with the baby last time you get up or it's your turn to give baths or I've unloaded the dishwasher the last five times. What are you doing? You know, these, these, this tat, this tally sheet. And we both kind of had this conversation once and that was probably the best gift that he ever gave me was we both stopped keeping tabs. And even though he was a working dad and I was, you know, I was home, I was working, but I had very flexible income and he was the, the, the primary breadwinner. Then he never made me feel small about what I did. And he would say, you're such a great mom. You know, just these words of affirmation and love and um, just being really, really thoughtful in that. And also, I think just the way he, you know, talks about me around the boys, the, you know, the, the boys, if they ever roll their eyes or, or back talk, he's like, hey, you do not talk to your mother like that. You know, it's just it's this kind of this protectiveness. But also, he's always given me permission to be who I've came to be. He's never tried to squander me or make me feel small or say, I think that's a waste of money, or I think that's a waste of time, or what are you doing? I mean, he's, there's been times where, you know, he's only human too, that I'll have to be like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> but then, you know, 
we we've worked really hard at our relationship and having this openness and we don't yell we never we never use names at each other it's not that we don't get in arguments we we get in arguments but we never fight if that makes sense like we've never had a huge fight where it's like a screaming match or using terrible names at each other um that's not to say we haven't been real frustrated at times yeah so you said like um there's times where he's human and you have to like say things. Do you have any best practices for women on how to bring those things up in a way where he hears them well and can respond well to you? Mm -hmm. So I learned this trick when I was in the corporate world, uh, the CEO of my company gave me a piece of advice once and he's like, I'm gonna give you some advice that do you use this in your life and it will change your life. He said, always assume a misunderstanding. And I said, always assume it. He's like, yeah, if you have a client and something goes wrong, call them up and be like, hey, I think we've had a misunderstanding. Let's talk about this. And so I started using that in my marriage too of like, hey, maybe we've had a misunderstanding here. Let's chat a little bit because I'm a little confused, you know, I was doing this and then this happened and I just, I think I maybe misunderstood you versus like, why are you doing that? You know, just going in guns blazing. And the thing of it is, is it, it diffuses any situation immediately because we're not casting blame or we're not pinning people into a corner where, you know, we're trying to make them something they're not. And so that alone, that, that idea of coming into any difficult conversation of maybe we've had a misunderstanding has really given us a level playing field on, you know, being able to call each other out on stuff, but not being angry or accusatory where, you know, nobody likes to be felt like, you know, someone's like coming at them and they're wrong. Yeah. So well, there's, wrong, but there's, a, there's a nice way of, of getting to that. Yeah. There's a, I've got one last question on this line of thought, and then I've got a whole new line of thought. So it seems like from, from the stories I'm hearing that you bring a lot of tools and a lot of strategies to the whole family to help them. And it also seems like somehow they all listen and adopt these strategies and tools that you're bringing to them. What are you doing to... <laughs> to allow that to happen. Mm -hmm. You know, I honor their authenticity. And I think that this is where so many parents go wrong. They want their kid to be this, or they think they should be acting like X, or I didn't do that, or I wasn't raised like that, or if I would have done that when I was a kid, I would have had, you know, been sent to my room and have been grounded for a month. And, and so Nobody likes to live in a world where they feel like they're not enough. They're not who they, you know, they can't be authentic. They have to please you. And I've reminded every time I get frustrated with my husband, with my sons, you know, with my mom, like any, anyone, I'm like, honor their authenticity. They didn't come to be who I wanted them to be. And this is all about helping them you know, figure out their path in life. And so because we've, because both my husband and I have really adopted the style of parenting of, hey, we're very strict. And the boys know that we have high hopes and we do have high expectations for them, you know, that they do their best. 
that they they don't you know they show up at school they put in the work that if they're getting a C they're going to need to study more and they're going to need to show up because you know we'll quite ask them are you a C student like are you proud of the C is that the best you could do and the answer is always oh I could do better and so we, we do that, but we don't do it in this militant way. Instead, it's really this nurturing to get them to self-assess so they can self-actualize and see like, hey, I could do more. I'm better than that. And, and I think that that's why the ideas and stuff have been adopted and that we don't, that we have this, you know, this really great relationship. And it doesn't, that doesn't mean that we don't have our days and times where, you know, we all want to wring each other's necks, but it's always it's always been an open, you know, a, a perfect balance of assertiveness and empathy versus being overly assertive all the time or so empathetic. You know, there's also the parents who are so empathetic that their kids don't know right from wrong or they can't see their full potential because they've coddled them so much that they can't up level. Wow. So that that's a big another can that you just opened right there, which is mm, a lot of questions. Let me get one more on this line and then I'll, I'll go over to the book because I have questions about the book, too. But on this line of questioning, are there any like daily or weekly traditions or rituals that you do with your boys or the whole family together to that that you think have really helped foster this style of, of family? Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, we're not the family who has like a certain ritual, like every Friday night we do this and you know, your kids get harder and it gets much harder to do that because they have stuff almost every night of the week. I think there's like one, one day where they might not have a practice or a game or something. So it's not that we have these rituals, but we just, we always make time for family, you know, whether that be even, you know, I've, I've really come to appreciate, even though it's by the time I get there and back twice, it's, you know, an hour and a half out of my day of driving the kids to school and picking them up and having those conversations. Hey, tell me about my, your day. Was it good? Yeah, it was good. Well, tell me, tell me something that made you laugh. What did you talk about in English class? And really, you know, what did you do uh, at, at recess? Um, what did you have for lunch? Really just getting them. Hey, did you get that test back? Those conversations. And I think that's what's fostered all. And then even, you know, we, we try to take family vacations and we try to do stuff just, just being together. You know, the other night, my husband and I, we, we used to, when the kids were really little, we did a date night every week. And it was just like a, a hard press thing. Like we're hiring a babysitter and we're getting out of the house because we, we had to, to, to keep our marriage intact. And now the kids are older and it's harder, even though we don't need a babysitter anymore. Cause I'm a 14 year old. It's harder sometimes to pull away. Cause we have so many things. And um, I, I was like, we should go out to dinner. I'm like, but should, do you think we should invite the boys? Because we haven't done family dinner. And Scott's like, yeah, we probably should. And so I was like, hey, Ben, would you like to go out to dinner with us? And he goes, that would be really nice. And I was like, oh, good thing we asked you because they still like, you know, to do all those things. So I just think it's about making time. And then it doesn't have to be like, you have to be doing something extraordinary or, you know, we, we cook a lot together. 
Uh, we watch a lot of sports. We love, we still to this day love to play games. You know, we have all kinds of games that we we play as a family and it's just, it's just, and we, you know, we, um, we made a big decision a few years ago to put a pool in. And one of the reasons, the primary drivers of that was, I want the boys here. I want their friends to come here. And the pool has been just a really great thing for our family and the teenagers, because in the summer, we're just out there hanging out, just the four of us all the time. And there's no phones and there's no, you know, um, TV on or anything like that. We're just hanging out. And, you know, one year we did, um, we bought season tickets to the Royals and that was a, and that was before the boys were in really competitive baseball. So we had our evenings and stuff. And that was a really great way to have very focused time with the kids sitting there watching baseball together. And we, Mm nothing big, but we were there together and we'd have, you know, we'd have our little rituals out there. And it was the year that um, my dad died. We actually had the tickets with him and that ended up being like one of the biggest blessings that we did was, you know, having those seats that we got to spend all that time together doing nothing other than watching the Royals. Yep. So then let me ask you a question with that really quick, which is, you were still on your happiness unicorn at that point when you were doing like the the Royals games and back in that story, because that was before that happened, right? And that revelation happened. Because you were on the happiness unicorn, were there times where you would go to the games? Because this probably switched during that period, because that's when your dad passed, right? Where some of those games you went to and you were like, I just, you know, want to make everybody happy and want to make sure we have family time. And then when you switched over to this idea of like fulfillment and you said the mindset shifted, is that mindset shift like, okay, I don't necessarily want to go to the game today because I'm tired and the traffic and whatever, but I know I'm going to appreciate that we did these moments together at the age that they're at right now. So I'm going to, I'm going to lean in and like, remember that this is kind of a once in a lifetime era that they're going through? Is that kind of the shift? Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that was a huge shift just in general as a parent and knowing that, you know, you don't feel like doing things a lot of times, but how do you feel when you get home? How do you feel when it's done? And we feel that's when, you know, if, if you, if, if you get done with it and you're like, that sucked, then <laughs> don't do it anymore. Right. But never once did we come home from a Royals game and I'm like, that sucked even if the Royals lost, it was still a a great evening. And, you know, my dad actually, um, he passed away in September and this was 2015 when the Royals went to the playoffs and ended up winning the world series. So we had our tickets through that time. And, um, it was one of those times where none of us were happy, but those games were really fulfilling and being out there and having that gift. And it was kind of, you know, our life raft, it got us through some really hard times and, and just being, you know, present out there and together because my dad obviously wasn't there to have his two tickets. So my brothers came in for a lot of them and we, it just got us through such a, a, of a, of a rough, of a rough patch. Wow. Wow. What a gift. So beautiful. Wow. Okay. So there's three big ideas that I, I want to hear your thoughts on within this. 
it's and I'm I'm not sure of the words that you use here, but it, I think it's create, own, and live it, create live it, own it, live it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, can you break that down in simple terms for me? So creating it is focusing on a life of being fulfilled, because you can't be who you came to be by chasing happiness and unicorns and all that. You have to do what's fulfilling. And you have to remember that fulfilling things are not easy. Fulfilling things require patience and tenacity and grit and um, failure and fears and perseverance, all of those things. That's what creates fulfilling things. You know, whether that be uh, a promotion at work because you earned it, you put in the time, you were there the long haul or your marriage or your, your friendships or your community work, whatever it is. So that's the first thing is we, we create who we came to be and we create and live the life we desire and deserve by focusing on what is fulfilling in our life, not what makes us happy all the time. So with that, how, how can we figure that out for ourselves like the difference between fulfilling actions and happy actions because i feel like some are kind of like it's hard sometimes to differentiate the two what's is there like a best practice you'd recommend for figuring out what those things are you know and i i guess i don't want to i don't want to say don't do things that make you happy because that's that you, you can do things that make you happy too but you also have to say you know when something is hard or something is is challenging and you want to throw in the towel you have to say is this fulfilling to me and I think you could ask anyone and say hey I want you to write down the five most fulfilling things in your life and they they wouldn't have a hard time writing them down if you ask them what are the five things you know that make you really happy they would probably write down a couple things about family or whatever and then they're probably going to write wine and uh you know designer handbags or you know, my car or all those things. Well, let's think about why those things like the car, perfect example. Someone has a car that they love, right? Well, most likely they had to work pretty hard to buy the car to get the car that they are so proud of. And they, they've had this as their, as the end result of everything else they did. So I think that it's, it's really, you know, and you can still have happy things in your life, but you have to stay focused on what's fulfilling because it's it's really what creates those epic moments of happiness. And so I know it's it's a it's a it's a little shift, but people seem to catch on to it pretty fast and then they start thinking, okay, yeah, I know this isn't supposed to be easy right now, but it's fulfilling, so I'm going to keep doing it. Yeah, let me. What would you say was the most fulfilling memory or thing you did in the last 12 months? by far write my book. I mean, that was, it's one of the most fulfilling things I've ever done. And I think that it was such a journey because how I set out to write the book is not how the book ended up. Mm. And I thought that I needed a business book, you know, something that looked similar to this book, right? Like a business type book. And I love these books. I mean, I worked in the corporate world, even when I was in my social selling business, you know, I think being well-read is extremely important. And I joke that nothing will make you more curious at a cocktail party than being well-read. It's true. 
Okay, but so I thought I needed this business book and I kept trying to write this real businessy book. And it was during the pandemic that I realized I, I can't write this book because this isn't who I am and this is not who I came to be. And so once I let go of, well, so you want to write a, a pretty book, you want to write, you know, a feminine book, you want to write a, you know, a book that has gold foil on the cover. And like you said, it feels good. And the interior is highly designed. And guess what? There's not 20 pages of endnotes at the end because I haven't cited a ton of research and science and all the stuff up to back up my ideas. It's like, hey, I'm going to, this is who I am. This is my message. And I'm going to write the book the way I want to write the book. And so going through that journey of, of allowing being who you came to be. Yes. Yes. It was kind of like I had to get, and it all happened when I was out of work at the pandemic because no one was, there was no huge events, no keynotes to do that. I thought I have to live what I tell people, which is to never play small and lean into the fear and that you're not going to be for everyone, but the people who are going to like you are going to love you and do go that direction. That is the fulfilling direction. And so for me, that was really fulfilling. And, you know, I tried to write the book so many times that I just felt like a total imposter and the book sucked. It wasn't good. Um, because I was trying to be something that I wasn't. And so that by far, I think, has been this really personal, like this kind of pivotal moment for me that also gave me, you know, tons of confidence in my message. And most of all, you know, I ask my kids this all the time, they'll bring homework or anything. I'll be, are you proud of this? And they'll always answer honestly. And if someone says, are you proud of your book? I say, I am so proud of this book. Wow. So it's not, it's not always, but often I find authors and people who have such beautiful and very concrete messaging have had maybe the deepest struggles with whatever it is that they're teaching. So is that true for you? Was there a period in time where you were not who you came to be or that you, this was a big lesson that you had to learn uh, when you were younger? I am really fortunate that I was raised by um, gentle, beautiful souls. And the, 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 the message, Be Who You Came To Be, was actually a message that my grandmother wrote in a letter to my son, my oldest son, when he was born. And she sent this letter. And the last two things she wrote was, be who you came to be, love will guide you. So she lived up until I was, you know, in my 30s. And she was very, um, she was a very important part of my life and a very integral part of my story. But she, she lived in the same town that I grew up in. And my mom and dad both also were always fostering authenticity in us and what we wanted to do. And um, we're always, you know, just really gentle with, you know, letting us make mistakes, letting us do, you know, figure it out on our own. And so, you know, I remember my grandmother one time said to me, she said, it's only a mistake if it happens twice. The first time was just a lesson that you needed to learn. 
And for me, she told me that in my twenties and, and I have no idea why she told it to me. I, I know I was down on my luck and I was upset about some stuff. I have no clue what I was upset about, but I remember this advice and I really ran with that. And so I think that, um, for me, yes, it was a journey of self-discovery, but from a very young age, I was allowed to be me. You know, I, I joke that I was raised by a pack of men. I, I have two older brothers and I'm the first girl on my dad's side of the family, the first girl in four generations. So I lived in a very masculine environment and lots of men, lots of uncles, you know, lots of, you know, boys, um, you know, teenage boys, boys around all the time. But what was interesting is it was, I think because I was the first girl in four generations, they were so excited to have a girl, but they didn't know what to do. So they always, they honored my femininity, but included me in everything. So they would be like, we're going fishing. And I'd be like, well, I, I've got my crown on and I'm playing with my dolls. And they're like, well, bring your crown and dolls and let's go fishing. <laughs> and so they didn't realize what they were doing, but you know, what they taught me was I can be feminine. I can be who I came to be. And I can still come to the table and sit with men and sit really with anyone because this is who I am. And so maybe it was just like ignorance is bliss and it's just how I was raised. And so I never felt a lot of that going into the corporate world, even of like, oh, well, this is a very male dominated environment. And my, the company I work for was very male dominated, but I never felt like it was suppressive. Hmm. So it sounds like if I'm hearing you correctly, a lot of the lessons and the desire to teach this came around because you suddenly, as you became an adult and got in all these worlds, realized that this is not the truth for a lot of people. And you were like, oh, people don't know this like I know this. Mm -hmm. I always say that talking is legitimizing, meaning like you tell yourself something long enough and it sounds legitimate and it becomes a truth and it becomes a personal truth. And really it's just a self-limiting belief. And it's assumed constraint that we told ourselves these things all the time, or we've told ourselves things about scenarios. And so much of it is not what the situation is, but how do you show up in the situation, which ultimately is emotional intelligence. I'm a certified emotional intelligence practitioner, and that's being able to delineate and understand your thoughts and then choosing how to act on them is choosing how to show up. And so it goes back to that whole parenting thing. Like there's times where I've wanted to blow a head gasket on my, my kids, you know, but I was rational enough to be like, you're very angry. You're very mad. But if you come at him, it's not going to, it's not going to help him. Like if I come out, you know, you come out a, um, a teenager overly assertive and you're just assertive, 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 they build walls, they make up lies, they, they shut you out where you can still be assertive, but you have to be empathetic too. And so again, th that's just a perfect example of EQ. And so I think a lot of people don't, they don't lean into their emotional intelligence to really see things for what they are. And then how are you going to act in those situations? And how are you going to show up? And, you know, what are you, how are you going to use your words? And how are you going to control your emotions? Yeah. So major tangent later. So creating it is what you said is, is really about discovering what is fulfilling to you and prioritizing those things in life, right? Versus trying to make everybody happy, including yourself. 
it's really starting to say like, okay, I'm going to look at the long term. I'm going to say like, how am I going to feel after this is done versus do I want to do this thing now That's in perfect. harmony with keeping yourself happy, right? So then what does own it get into? Own it is this concept that you didn't come to be them. You came to be you. And we constantly are comparing ourselves to others, comparing our lives to others, comparing our situations to others, comparing our career, comparing our, you know, our journeys, comparing our children as parents. And that is not honoring your authenticity. And that's certainly not owning it. And so owning it is saying, this is who I am. This is who I came to be. I know I'm not going to be for everyone, but if I am a kind person, which is very important that you're kind, that it's okay. And you can never be who you came to be by trying to fit into other people's containers and conforming to things that, you know, aren't fulfilling to you back to that. But you just have to say like, Hey world, this is who I am. And you know, I am perfectly flawed, which happens to be the name of my next book, which means we're perfect. Everyone is perfectly flawed. There is no such thing as perfection. And we just have to step into our own and, you know, have some humility, but be able to laugh at ourselves and be able to understand, you know, where our strengths are and, and own it. And for women, that's a, that's a hard thing for a lot of women to do because we, we compare and then we feel small. Mm. We think we're not enough. Mm. And then where does live it come in? Live it is just the commitment to show up every day. And ultimately what, what comes into that is really mastering the skill of self-assessment so that you can figure out what, you know, you're, you're, you're creating it, you're owning it. What are you doing really well to live it? So what are you doing really well? Where are your limitations? Where are your opportunities? Where do you need to work? And, and how do you live it? Because nobody else cares more about your success, your happiness, your fulfillment in life than you. And so it's up to you to live it. And so I think this key, this mastering the art of, I call it using a clear mirror to self-assess because what happens when we look into a mirror, we only see ourselves. We're, we are 100% focused on us. No one looks in a mirror at themselves and starts seeing something in the background. We see ourselves. And so we, we live it by what, what can I do to make myself better to make the world better but versus playing the blame game making excuses um you know finding what's wrong with every situation versus just you know how am i living on a, on a daily basis because that's the only thing that you can 100 control is yourself um and how you how you show up every day so it sounds like in my head i'm crystallizing this thing that you're teaching with create it own it and live it it to me it's starting to look like a circle you know oh, where <laughs> okay okay so you're, again you're never gonna arrive like right when you think you got it all figured out there's gonna be something else and you're gonna have to keep create it's not like you create it own it live it and then you just plateau right you, there's no there's no such thing you know it was really interesting when my mom got my book no one read my book until it would hit the, it hit print 
we, we use the same philosophy of naming our children. Like, do not tell anyone their names until it's on the birth certificate, because at that point in time, you can't change it, okay? <laughs> and so I knew if I let people read my book before, they'd be like, let me, do, do you want some ideas on that? And no, I don't want your ideas. This is my book. So my mom hadn't read the book, and I get her, the, I get her, get her a hard copy of the book, and she calls me, you know, a, a day or so later. And she, she's like, I read through your whole book. She said, I'm, and she was crying. And she said, I'm, I'm blown away. She said, she said, I knew you were a good writer. I knew that you would write a great book, but I didn't think it would speak to me mm. in my seventies. Mm. She said, and I felt like you wrote this book for me. And, you know, she's 72, she's retired. Wow. She's wow. living another life and she's continuing to create it, own it, live it. At, at her age, you never arrive. So it is, it's mm. this constant circle. And, and, and most of us have many circles going at once, right? Because, you know, even though everything is operating to get, you know, at the same time, um, we do have different silos in our life. Yeah. Wow. I've got, I've got two, I feel like questions I have to get answered. Um, one of them is, if we were to line this up, with the the very selfish another selfish question if we were to line this idea up to the thing i started with today which i would consider more of a yin and yang which is still a circle which is there's an element of perspective and you know creating it which is uh, to make it really tangible for me this might be something like I want to be able to do this podcast and just have these beautiful conversations with people and get to learn so much and be able to get introduced to things like this from the author themselves and just learn all these beautiful things and then share it with people. That's creating a vision, right? That's like creating what is fulfilling to me. And then owning it is saying like, oh, this is something that I can really be. I am someone that can provide this value to others. I'm someone that can make this work long term, that can be really good at interviewing to get this information, right? And then living it is, for me, this is interesting. So I said perspective on one side and reality on the other. And I feel like maybe living it is a good way of making it real and making the objective reality work. Is that, are you seeing that kind of picture line up and, and what could you add to that? So I actually think maybe flipping, owning it and living it. And because um, living it is that you get to do something that you get to show up. You get to interview these people. You get to have meaningful conversations. You get to do, live this thing that you desire. And I'm sure you listen to your podcast. And you think, oh, I like that. I mean, you said that, um, you know, we're going to record this at the end because I learned that this is the best way to do it. So you right, you're learning, you're living it. You're learning, you're self-assessing. You're, you're like, oh, this was good. I'm going to start doing this. I did this really good. I'm always going to do that. So that's that. And then the owning it part is I'm going to do a podcast that I love. And some people are going to listen to it and be like, that was not for me. I didn't like that. And then other people are going to be like, I listened to one episode and there was one sentence that he said that changed my life. So I think that that is the, you know, create it, own it, live it. And knowing that you know, some people are going to love certain episodes and not other episodes. And that's the owning it part. Everybody's going to love this episode. Everybody's <laughs> gonna... <laughs> I think so too. Um, you know, someone asked me once, like, did you write your book thinking maybe you'll be a award-winning best-selling author? 
And I said, that was never my goal. And honestly, it never even crossed my mind until then. Um, because the goal was just to, well, one, I wanted to write the book I wanted to write, but I thought if this book, you know, if a handful of people, like if one person likes it and it changes their life, it was worth it. Hmm. And that's where we have to come from. And that's, that's how epic success is built is not by chasing success, but doing what's fulfilling and that creates success. I mean, you look at athletes are such an easy, I, I, you know, I'm a boy, mom, sports person, athletes are such a great, we can look at them for so many examples, um, fulfilling first off do you think going to practice all the time, watching tape, have a coach yell at them, um, having to do a hundred, you know, free throws. Do you think that's easy? No, they, they do it because it's extremely fulfilling and they, they show up. They also, they, they've learned how to self-assess, right? They know where they need to work, where they need to get better, what they're doing good, what they're not. And they, they don't just show up for the games. They put all the work in. And, um, and so, you know, I think that that's what we have to keep in mind is that you got to stay the course and you got to show up and put the work in. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for that. So then my other question here is, you know, you, you say this thing about your 70 something mother crying and saying, I didn't think it would speak to me, um, but it did. And you say like, you know, I didn't think I'd be like a best-selling award-winning author, all these things, right? And I'm sitting here reading this book and I'm like, wow, she is an excellent writer. I, you know, it's just, it's rare that you get to see, I don't know, quality like this, right? And care. Oh my gosh, the level of care. I mean, like, again, it's just, it's insane. If you guys could feel this and touch this, it's, there's a workbook, like, you know, there's all this stuff for you, maybe like one to three things, what were the secrets or the tools or the strategies that you used to really get present with your writing process? Mm -hmm. So I think that first and foremost, people ask me, how do I write a book? How, how do I do this? Like, I think everyone has a book inside of them, but it is, it's something small, like 97% of people who set out to write a book fail. Like they never get the book published. They never finish the book. They never even probably get halfway through the book. Um, Cause it's hard, right? I mean, we have all these ideas, but to actually organize them and make them thoughtful and meaningful is, is challenging. So first and foremost, um, I always say, you know, write down all the things that you would want to write about, whether that be chapter titles or, you know, chapters or stories or all of that. So I think that was the first thing is kind of organizing your thoughts and then just start chipping away, like start writing and don't delete anything. Mm. There were days, there was a day where, um, I think it's chapter, I, it's called the social dilemma. And it was a day that I was so frustrated with what was happening on social media. And just, it was one of those days where it was like, everything I saw was venom. And I was so angry. And I just, I got on my computer and I wrote this whole thing about, you know, in a world where we're supposed to be accepted and, and kind, and this is what everyone preaches. Like we've never been um, more judged than we are right now because of 
that just this vision that our smartphones have given us in the social media world that we live in. I wrote this whole, and it was really more of like, just a, you know, I was typing away. I was saying all this stuff. And then I thought about deleting it. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go ahead and just, I'll save it. And I saved it. And then it was literally like 30 days later, I opened it and I was like, oh, this is good. <laughs> like, I could, you know, I need to, I need to refine it a little bit, but it's good. And so I think once again, just giving yourself permission to write and there's going to be some stuff you write that totally sucks. And then there's going to be some stuff that you write that you think is not great. And there's going to be stuff that you write and you think, oh, this is really great. And then the next day you read it and you're like, oh, I don't think that's very good. But then you marinate on it. And then you think, okay, I, I'm kind of figuring this out. And then the final thing I would tell anyone is hire someone to help you everybody works best under accountability. You know, I say like, why is it that Americans will go out and spend hundreds of dollars on a Saturday night out, but God forbid you hire an accountability coach or you invest in yourself or you invest in your, people are so hesitant to do that. It's, it's mind boggling to me. And so, you know, I, I did hire someone that I would send the work off to and they kind of helped me organize it. And then I hired an official like editor and, um, I, I got, the, I, I have this great picture of me on social. I'm like, the manuscript's going to the editor. And I'm like smiling and I've got the whole, you know, it's a white paper. That, that thing came back looking like it was in like a, a gang fight or something because it was covered in red. <laughs> it had so many, I mean, it, there were so many markups and I thought, oh my God, this book isn't even close to being done. But again, that was the coach, right? The, the person who forced me to do better, forced me to, to look at things differently, forced me to write things that, that wanted, you know, that knew I could do more and push me. And so that's kind of, you know, the, the advice I give anyone on, on writing a book. And I feel like there's a little tiny tactic and hint right there, a uh, helpful piece of advice for people, which is you had mentioned earlier when in the process of writing your book, people were like, Oh, do you want me to like, take a look at it? And you were like, No, but I will hire people that have permission to help me get better. And it's only the people that I choose. And it's an agreed upon relationship where they can help me do better. Right. And they were never saying, Hey, you should change this idea or thought. They, it was all about, Hey, I'm not sure if I'm understanding what you're saying here. Or, hey, you need to dive deeper in here. Or, hey, the way I read, here's how I'm reading this. Is this your intention? Mm. Versus, you know, the uh, the critics. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Lives. They're usually family members, you know, and, and usually, well, usually just family members. So I, I feel like there's another thing that's being tied in right now with how you say that, which is, how you just mentioned your family culture, like uh, 30 minutes ago, or whenever we talked about that, is assuming, um, assuming miscommunication or a misunderstanding, which is exactly what you just described is the difference between a critic and someone that's professionally helping, which I feel like is a big, big lesson we can all learn right now that I'm learning from you, which is just assume misunderstanding with everything. And then people will listen to everything you have to say. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, one of the things I like to say, if I'm, if I'm confused and usually I, I say this, if it's a critic or if it's gossip or something is, why are you telling me this? If you ask someone, why are you, why are you telling me this? And it, it'll be really interesting to see their answer. If it's gossip or something, they, they won't have an answer. I mean, that is the most, you know, if you, if you, if someone is gossiping to you, you just always say, why are you telling me this? 
there's no good reason why they're telling you, you know, it's not to help you. It's not to help the other person. Um, but yeah, that, that difference between critic and, and, you know, professional expert or someone who's really pushing you to the next level, you know, a coach, a coach is a perfect example. You know, my kids, the coaches that they don't like are coaches who don't care, who, who aren't on them, who aren't yelling at, you know, I mean, they love the hard coach. They want the coach that's going to call them out. They want the coach that's going to, you know, push them. And if they don't have that and they, they, you know, we've hired a couple private coaches and if the coach isn't hard on them, the, my boys don't want to go back. They're like, oh, I don't know. It's just kind of a waste of time. Mm, I agree. I agree. So Gosh, I have so many more questions for you, but for the sake of time, and I know our schedule is coming to an end here, where can people go to learn more about you and uh, when they fall in love with you after watching this thing and listening to this? Like, where, where can they go to just get more of you? So my website obviously is, it has tons of resources from my books to information on my speaking. And that's just my name, tararenzi.com. And then if you want a behind the scenes look at our family and what we're doing and um, our highlight reel, I guess, although we try to include really funny things too, is my Instagram, which is at Tara Renzi is, and it's everything. I mean, it's, it's really authentic me. I, I, you know, I share everything from cooking to workouts, to family, to inspirational things, to you know, if I find a makeup product I love, you better Garrett, I will tell you about it. Because <laughs> I these are the things I like. You know, it was one of those, speaking of it, was one of those I was like, how can I be will people take me seriously as an author and a keynote speaker if I'm telling people you definitely need to buy this dry shampoo? <laughs> and then I was finally like, well, if they don't like it, I'm not for them because this is who I am and who I came to be. A hundred percent. I actually love that stuff from influencers and people that I look up to, you know, it's like, of course I, there was this famous story, uh, Tim Ferriss put out where, I don't know if you remember, but he, he tried a, uh, like a customer or listener funded model where uh -huh. he took out his ads and had all of us like agree to pay however much a month to support the show. And he ended up canceling that three months later. And the reason that at least was stated publicly, which I believe was people were really upset that the ads weren't running. And oh. I, I agree because a lot of the best products I had ever found were ads from his show. So I was like, right. I'm no longer discovering all these amazing things <laughs> through his show. Please oh. bring the ads back, which is so funny to like hear out loud. That's a but... Really? That's a cool story. Who was that again? Tim Ferriss. Tim Ferriss. Okay, so I totally believe that. And you know, I'm not a um I'm not a paid influencer where people are like, I'm gonna pay you two thousand dollars and share this product. Like I will only share what I love. And so, you know, there might be two weeks before you hear me talk about, you know, a new pair of shoes I found that I think everybody should have or a lip gloss that you need. But if I come on my Instagram with it, it's because I think it's the bee's knees and yeah, yeah. I love it. She's a hard closer. She's a hard Back closer. Back before there was internet, like before Facebook and all that, I remember Swiffers came out. Oh, so And every good. single person who came into my house, I'm like, have you heard about the Swiffer? My husband's like, you'd think she works for Swiffer. She has no connection. <laughs> thinks that everybody has a Swiffer in their house. So someday I'm like, I pray that QVC calls me and they're like, do you want to come on and host for us? And you get to host products you love. I mean, that would be a dream come true job for me. I feel like you'd be excellent at that. <laughs> so that being said, 
Um, final question for you. Are there, is there any particular message or thing that you want to talk about, whether it's imperfectly perfect or, or anything that, like I stated at the very beginning of the show before we got rolling, um, with that preface of like the potential computer simulation and or getting hit by a bus tomorrow. Is there any last bit of wisdom that you feel like is really present that you'd like to share or are we complete? I think the last thing that I just would love to share, and I think it's because we've all been through so much over the last two years with the COVID-19 pandemic. And, you know, it really has, it's, it's changed us as humans. It's changed our relationships. I mean, it's, it's shattered uh, families, it's ruined careers. It's, you know, the mental health crisis in our country um, is, is, unsurmountably sad and scary for a lot of people right now. And, you know, one of the things that I just want everyone to know is that it not working out always works out. And whether you, you know, lost something or have lost yourself during this time, like it will work out. It, it will turn around. There will be a brighter day. And it takes as long as it takes, but you have to be willing to be good to your heart and to believe beyond reason that something is, is manifesting, something is happening. And, you know, I, I, I just use myself as an example with, with the pandemic of, you know, really losing my business. I had a, a secondary business uh, that I was running with a, another, another female. We had kind of an online coaching community that had spun off and we were doing events with a nationally uh, partnershiped uh, women's clothing boutique around the country and we were set to do different events and that was how we were going to go to business and we ended up having to close that business because it wasn't sustainable through the pandemic and that was our marketing strategy to continue to get to grow the community and so I lost that and then I lost every speaking gig and it was just literally like I mean I was at the bottom and I thought I don't know how I'm going to get out of this and it not working out worked out because I actually wrote the book. I got closer to my message. I had this amazing pause in my life where I got to be with family and I got to be, you know, with my kids and uh, my husband who used to be gone for 12 hours a day um, has been working from home, which has had its set of challenges, but it's really been magical to, to be together more. And sometimes when we're in the darkness, it's, um, it's, it's, we, we, we don't know if we can get out of the darkness. And I always say, you know, sometimes being lost is how we can truly create ourselves and recreate ourselves and, and find out who we came to be. So if you're one of those people who is in a dark spot or you're grieving or life just isn't working out, I just want you to know that it will and you're worth it and you have to stay the course and you have to love yourself and believe in yourself um, more than you ever thought possible because things do turn around and even from you know losing my father and that grief journey of it feeling so so low and so dark even though I was surrounded with so many people you know I love when we're when we're in hard times it feels very solo and but 
it always, it always works out and there's the best is always yet to come. And I believe that in my heart of hearts. And it's part of being who we came to be, that it's not all sunshine and rainbow farms. And a lot of times we have to experience things to grow and everything that's happened in our lives is preparing us for something else. So just, you are enough, stay strong. You got this. And, um, and I love you. Oh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's beautiful because I'm the person you're speaking to right now. There's a tremendous amount of grief that I'm actually in right now. And it's very fresh. Today is kind of day one ish of this grief. So thank you for that. Cause yeah. I, I will re-listen to that message again and again. And I hope a lot of other people that hear this and see this also. The last chapter of my book is it's not really a chapter. It's a letter to anyone grieving or lost. And, you know, it's kind of an interesting way to end a book, but I think that it's a, just, it's part of life and it's part of where it's part of being human and it's part of love. And so I just wanted to give people hope that they can, that they can weather the storms. Hmm. What's the name of that chapter? It's the last, it's just the last, it's, it's called a, a letter to anyone grieving or lost. Oh, I see. Yeah. You don't know me, but I wanted to write you a letter, this final secret to tell you that you are loved. Yeah. I know things are dark right now. You feel lost, heartbroken, and probably wonder if you will ever have genuine happiness again. The darkness might seem so heavy that you're finding it hard to shine your light. You might even wonder if you can shine your light. Oof. Oof. Yeah. Wow. How beautiful. Wow. Thank you so much for coming Thank on the show. You. I have enjoyed every, every minute of this. I feel like we could talk, you know, we, we're going to have to talk again once my new book's out. Yes, please. When is that going to be, you think? So I'm re I'm taking a, a writing retreat. I finally said, you know what? I know it's kind of expensive, but I have got to go and just be alone. And I, then, then I have this fear, like, what if I get out there, have a writing block, and I can't write? Um, I'm hoping by the end of the year, I need to. You know, it'll be interesting to see how quick the manuscript comes together. But I'm also releasing expectations or, you know, of you have to have it done by then or you have to do this. But I do want to I have this deadline. Of, I've got it in my head of when I want to submit the manuscript. So mm. one of these days I'll have a publisher who's like, listen, we need this by this time. <laughs> I'm sure I'm not there yet. But I will tell you, there's something been really blissful about self-publishing. Mm. Wow. The fact that this quality of work is self-published is still mind-blowing to me. I feel like that's a whole masterclass you could do on how you made this happen in such a, such a way. Um, you know, just for me, is it possible that you could, uh, I feel like this is pretty short, this last little bit here. Let me see here. Because I feel like if we did this, I could take this and turn this into a small little segment, yeah. you know, like its own little standalone video, if you want to do that and read that last letter. Oh yeah. I'll, I'll read it. Oh, that'd be beautiful. Okay. I have to put my glasses on. Skip. Are you going to cry? I'll, show you, cry? I'll show you my age. I'll try not to cry. I cry a lot when I read this letter though. So we're, we're going to go our best. Okay. 
I love the glasses. A letter to anyone grieving or lost. You don't know me, but I wanted to write you a letter, this final secret to tell you that you are loved. I know things are dark right now. You feel lost, heartbroken, and probably wonder if you will ever have genuine happiness again. The darkness might seem so heavy that you're finding it hard to shine your light. You might even wonder if you can shine your light. I've been there and I know how hard it is. Even the smallest daily routines can seem like climbing Mount Everest. Years ago, I lost my dad unexpectedly and it shattered me. It turned my world upside down and extinguished the daily joy and happiness in my life. Just like you, I wondered, will my light ever shine again? I want you to know the answer is yes. Yes, your light will shine again and your light is still shining in the darkness. Genuine happiness is in your future, but right now you need to give yourself the space to work through whatever it is you're working through. It's part of the up level that will happen. Think of it like a caterpillar who goes into metamorphosis. It's a dark, slow, and solo journey. No one can help the caterpillar, but the caterpillar itself. And then when it's ready, and only when it's ready, it emerges as a beautiful butterfly. You will emerge. I want you to know it's okay to feel lost. Oddly enough, feeling lost presents an opportunity to truly find ourselves. The saying is, be who you came to be. The path to discovery is messy and full of disruptions and uncertainty. You have so many gifts and authenticities. Right now you're struggling and it's okay. It's okay to struggle and feel off. As I've said over and over, you're only human. Give yourself space and permission to feel whatever it is you're feeling. Feeling it all is going to help you work through this tough time. I don't know you, but I believe in you. I believe the universe works in magical ways. Most likely we'll never meet. Maybe you found my book and it intrigued you or maybe someone gifted it to you. This book got in your hands, not by chance. It was meant to be. My 87 year old grandmother wrote a letter for my little boy before she died. She wrote a beautiful letter that was filled with sentiments on what he might be like, what his passions might be, what he will look like and how she loved him deeply. But it was the last two sentences of her letter that took my breath away. The last two sentences she wrote were this, be who you came to be, love will guide you. She could have written a lot of things. She might've offered advice to be tenacious, bold, kind, patient, courageous, or a leader, but she didn't. She wrote, be who you came to be, as if he was born predestined to do something amazing with his life. I think my children were born predestined to do something amazing. And I think I was born to predestined to do something amazing. I think you were born to do something pre, let me start that chapter over, or that, that paragraph. I think my children were born predestined to do something amazing. I think I was born predestined to do something amazing. And I think you were born predestined to do something amazing with yours. She didn't write this letter just for Ben and Jack. She wrote it for me to share with the world, to share with people like you who are feeling lost and unsure of the path and future. I've never written a letter to a stranger before, but here I am writing you this letter. Maybe it's my grandmother in heaven sending her message to you that she wants you to be who you came to be. The last line of her letter was this, love will guide you. If you're unsure of your path and what step to take next, let love guide you. Embrace your passions, gifts, talents, light, and family. That is love. You are loved. 
You can find the courage, strength, and love to shine your beautiful light. Never give up on you and who you came to be. Love, it's why we're all here. It was a toast my grandmother gave at our wedding, and there's no better or more simple secret I could leave with you after all the words preceding this page. Love, it's why we're all here. Most of the time, we just want to know we're not alone and that we are loved. You're not alone. You're never alone. You are loved. Thank you for reading my book. I'm passionate about sharing this message with the world. In my darkest days of personal grief and sadness, Be Who You Came to Be has been my North Star. Now put down this book and go tell someone you love them. I love you is not a set of three words that you should ever save. No one can ever be told that they are loved too much. And if you haven't heard it in a while, I want you to know that you are loved. I love you. Love never runs out. Love never ends. Be who you came to be. Wow. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, okay. Well, that'll that'll be the end of this one. Thank <laughs> you so much. We'll we'll definitely thank talk you for more. For having me. My pleasure. <laughs>